Hey, and welcome to On the Battlefield with me, Father Joseph, and my friend, Father Michael, Michael Marcantoni, as we share the Christian message of hope and endurance amidst life's suffering and upheaval. Um, so today on the docket, Father Michael, is the idea of confession. And speaking of confession, I have to confess, it is a beautiful day up here in Shyoming. Shyoming. <laughs> That's a nice put together of two words uh, up here in Cheyenne. Uh, what's it like there in Tennessee? It's no, it is. It is gorgeous out. It's sunny. Uh, it's nice and fall. It's cool. Uh, it's not so cold that you can't be outside, but it is a little chilly and seasonal. Uh, back home up in Rochester, it would have been much, much colder <laughs> right now. You would not be hanging out outdoors already, but uh, this is uh, it's nice. It's nice. That's great. That's great. Shyoming. I can't believe I say Shyoming. I know it's a, that's a poor man too. A combination <laughs> of two words that you may, you should send that into the, uh, the, the city there, the, you know, the, uh, the municipality, they might use that on like the seal or use that for tourism. Yeah. Come we could send Shyoming. it to the, to the chamber of commerce. They may. Yeah. That's what that. I mean. Yeah. yeah. Shyoming. Yeah. Shyoming. Ever come, to, come see Shyoming. <laughs> Beautiful Shyoming. Yeah, so I wanted to discuss confession today uh, because there is this phenomena that happens when we're looking at our spiritual life. And what people tend to do is when they have something that weighs on them, when they have some sort of failure, when they have some sort of brokenness or sin, they have this tendency to isolate. They get by themselves and they say, this is between me and God. I don't need anyone else. Uh, how could I possibly bring this to others? And, you know, when it comes to the problem of mankind's brokenness within the scripture, God fixes it in community. He comes and he establishes covenant with tribes, with families. He, when he comes and dwells on earth, he doesn't write them down anything. Uh, Luke's gospel records Christ uh, reading in the temple and writing in the sand. So we know he's literate, but he leaves nothing written down. Instead, he establishes a church, this body of Christ. He establishes a community. And then he calls people to become part of that community, part of that bride. And that's the context in which our brokenness is healed. Yeah, so I wanted to talk about confession today because there's a real problem within our spiritual life. And that is when we have our failures, when we have our brokenness, we have this tendency to isolate and get by ourselves. Uh, we think, well, that's just between me and God and that's nobody else's business. And, you know, while there's a measure of truth to that, there, it's really problematic. You know, we have no problem uh, involving the community with the happy moments of our life, right? Where weddings and baptisms and engagement parties. But when we find ourselves broken and in pain and really needing that team to rally around us, uh, for some reason, we go off on our own. Now, it was one of the fathers of the church, and I'm blanking on his name, might have been Basil or John Chrysostom, but it was one of the fathers of the church who said that, when we that we should be ashamed when we sin but bold when we repent and that the devil flip-flops it and he makes us bold when we sin and ashamed when we repent 
And what a beautiful thing it is that, you know, no matter how broken we've become, we're invited to come to the church, come together with our priest before the icon of Christ, look not only our priest in the face, but the icon of Christ in the face to pour our hearts out and hear that no matter how prodigal we've been, that it is both forgiven and forgotten unto all eternity from the highest authority, and we can move on with our lives. And that's a powerful thing. And I think that that's, uh, it's a real essential thing for us to look at because, you know, going back to our usual battlefield metaphor, if you're in a wartime scenario and you get isolated from your team out in enemy territory, that's a recipe for death. Being isolated and on your own in battle is a recipe to not survive. And so it's a real mistake to head into the battle of life isolated from our team. To find ourselves in need of that support and not to reach out for it and take advantage of it. So that's why I, that's why I want to talk about confession. Because the truth be told, like for those happy moments... It's nice that we involve the community, but that's not when we need them. And then when we need them, we go alone and we suffer. And that makes it worse. Uh, and and, and it's, it's, a, it's a deadly thing. And we know that in other areas of life. When people have trauma, we invite them to go to support groups, right? When people go through loss, we invite them to talk to other people who've been through similar loss. Even the uh, Jews, they have this practice of sitting Shiva. Right. Which uh, for seven days, the person who's grieving the death of a loved one, uh, they're not left alone for seven days and they're even spoon fed. So we, we get the value of community and we're invited to be healed in community by confession within the church. And in our in our individualistic American mindset, we, we sort of set that aside and we choose isolation and, and then it's no wonder that we have this broken malaise sort of overtake us. And I, I think that's a real deadly thing. So uh, I want to go ahead and discuss that and discuss how um, confession can be uh, a healing restoration, not just for us individually, but as a body. And maybe what the value to that is on the battlefield, not just for us as persons, but like for our families and for our parishes. What do you think? I think that's a great idea. When you were talking, I'm reminded of many, many things. But most of all, these two names that our enemy is called so often throughout the scriptures. The, the devil is so often in both the Old and the New Testament referred to as the deceiver and also the accuser. So we get caught into these um, loops, uh, deception loops, right? So we, we boldly commit sin because we're deceived to think it's the right thing or that, that it's not quite so bad. So we go out and we, we boldly sin. And then, then the accusing part kicks in. And that keeps us from boldly repenting because we think to ourselves, Boy, I was deceived, I sinned, I did the wrong thing. And now, where the accuser says, listen, stupid, you just stay down. Don't get up. Stay down, because if anybody ever finds out, if they know what you did, 
They will never look at you the same. They will always remember your sin. And they'll probably just curse you and never let you into the into the community again. So stay down, stay quiet, and accept your misery and just stay there. Stay deceived, stay accused. And when we allow that to happen, we, we break the most important bonds in human life. We, we break the bonds of our hypostatic union, our connectedness as human beings to human beings. And we deny our need of the other. And we also deny our need for Jesus Christ. And then along with that, we see, we should also see in that, in that, in that circle that Christ breaks that circle. He broke that circle through coming into the world through his virgin birth. We see his first, one of his first acts is associating with our brokenness by going into the Jordan River. He associated himself with our sinfulness because that was a baptism of sinfulness. So he associates his mission with our sinfulness and his ability to break down that circle of deception and accusation and bring us into the accusation that he can heal us. Only he can heal us through the cross. Yeah. And that's the other thing that happens, like the image that we get for reconciliation and confession comes from the prodigal son, right? So the prodigal, after having wasted his life, having squandered what his father had given him, he says, he, it says that he came to himself. He came back to his right mind and he said, uh, I will go to my father's house and I will say, I've sinned before heaven and before you. If he had been a modern American Christian or if he had been even a modern, like a, a modern Christian living in our world, he would have said, well, I'll confess my sins directly to the almighty God and it's forgotten and I'll just go on with life. And maybe uh, at some point I'll write my dad a letter and say, I messed up. Sorry. And I can show up for a Passover supper. Uh, but no, he comes in humility and says, I'm taking accountability and responsibility for what I've done, not just before heaven, but before you. Because my transgression broke the relationship, not just between me and God, but between us. And, and, and his father, being an image of the heavenly father in the story, was so ready to receive that repentance that he runs out to meet him. He gets halfway there and his dad is already coming out that way. He's already waiting for him. But he gets the confession out. He's like, I've sinned before heaven and before you. And those are the two dimensions that all of our actions affect. And that's the story of human beings throughout scripture. Uh, even our first parents, Adam and Eve, their transgression wasn't just between them and God. It was between them, God, and the whole created world. But then also reconciliation becomes between us, God, and the whole created world. That's why Mark's gospel says, go and preach the gospel to all of creation and, and you know and the the hymns around epiphany they center in that the, everything is brought into this redeem redemption of christ or as saint paul would say the renewal of all things the making new of all things um but that's that's what confession does we come and we say that you know what my actions are not private that it, it has import between both god and, and my fellow man and so we come with the priest who stands in for the and you and we come before christ and, and 
we get to say, just like the prodigal, I've sinned before heaven and before you. And, and it allows that team to be intact. Um, and, it, and what's important about that is not just that it allows us to move forward, but it allows others to move forward. The father in the story is able to move forward and have his son back. What's interesting is that the older brother had also been wronged, right? He had been left picking up the slack by his younger brother, we can, we can presume. And uh, we don't know anything about their mother, but if she was still alive, he would have had to sit up nights, you know, probably comforting her and, and, and hearing her cry because her younger son who knew where he was. And the prodigal had sinned before him and he doesn't make amends to him. And I think that's where we can see sort of a, a warning on the part of Christ that doesn't get discussed very much, that when we come to make amends, that we should not be afraid to do it fully, that we should be bold to make full amends and to say, hey, uh, yeah, I can get just get back to the father's house by talking to him. But I, I need to make a full amends to everyone and say, look, I've sinned before heaven and before you, too. Uh, and that that the other thing that flies in the face of is not just our sense of isolation and individualism, but also uh, this terrible transactional mentality that we have in religion, in, in the everyday practice of the Christian religion. People think of it as, well, what do I what do, what do I have to do? What, what do I have to do to be in good standing? What do I have to do to be saved? What do I have to do in order to uh, receive communion? Like it's a checklist as opposed to what Jesus Christ puts in front of us, where he says, no, because you love me and because I love you, let's be fully reconciled. Well, with full reconciliation in mind, a bare minimum doesn't enter the picture. It's like, let's make a full amends and let's come before one another and say, I've sinned before heaven and before you. And when we do that, we're able to confront the battles of life together. Uh, Couples who are able to do that, you know, suddenly, suddenly, um, the financial stresses and career problems and family problems can really be faced because we're not tearing each other's throats out at home. I mean, reconciliation really does actually make uh, uh, it really does resolve the overwhelming bulk of the problems we have if we'll do it fully. The problem is we don't often do it fully. No, no, we don't. Um... But hey, everybody, uh, we're about halfway through the show. And don't forget to check us out on Facebook, like us, follow us, make suggestions for this biweekly podcast. Um, We're also to be found on anchor.fm on the battlefield. Uh, And again, Facebook and Twitter on the battlefield podcast. Uh, Find us in those places. Um, And like we said, uh, let's make this a dialogue, ask questions and let us know that you're listening and how we can better serve you uh, as we continue forward with, with making these podcasts. Um, So father Michael, you, it's very interesting. Uh, You and I have both, and I think we mentioned this at least once before you and I both like uh, Jocko Willink. I think that's fair to say. Yes. Um, but what do we like about him, right? You, you just said what I like best about him is that he's willing to take full responsibility for the team. Uh, one of his first 
moments as a leader in his SEAL team, they made a huge mistake uh, in Iraq when they were fighting. And uh, it was it was almost a, a blue on blue. It was almost a... a Actually, right. actually, no, 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 no. It was friendly fire and pe- both American and friendly Iraqi forces died. People died. It was a literal international incident. Oh, I forgot <laughs> that they died. Oh, yeah, they died. That's part of that's part of what makes the story so impactful. OK, both Americans and Iraqis lost. Their OK, lives. so I, I my memory was foggy, but thank you for the for clarifying yeah. that. Yeah. So so American and Iraqis died. And so every, the whole team gets shut down until there's uh, and then they have to put together reports and figure out who was wrong. And he's standing in front of his uh, higher ups and they want to know whose fault it was. And he looked at the entire crowd and he said, I was in charge. It was my fault. People don't do that. But that's what you're talking about with, with the prodigal son is that when, when we sin and when we do wrong, we must take full responsibility that pointing fingers does no one good, any good in that moment. And that points immediately back to Jesus Christ. He, he gave us the model. He, he gave us the model when the God of the universe, God of gods, King of kings, Lord of lords, unsearchable, unknowable, unfathomable, fill in the blank, condescended, and emptied himself of all of his glory and took on the form of a man. And he became a man and humbled himself to to dwell among us. This, This for us is the model. This emptying myself of my pride, this emptying myself of my delusions, and throwing myself with this, this tolmisas, this daring faith, this all-daring faith that he alone can fill my emptiness, that all my struggles to fill my emptiness with sin and poor thoughts and, and the world are, are, are vanity. They can never be quenched. They can never be fulfilled. And that only in him, the humble God, only through my humble self-emptying, like he humbly self-emptied himself, only in that place will I find what I'm seeking. And what am I seeking? I am seeking to be free of my sins. So in that place, hopefully, by God's grace, we see his glory and our shortcoming, and we can actually repent and find the fullness of the whole, all-holy and glorious spirit, right? And I'm going to read you a Bible verse from Luke chapter 17, verse 10. And when you have done all that you were commanded, say... We are useless servants who have done no more than our duty. So even in, what's my point in reading that? That even when we live, even if we could live a perfect life, it was nothing more than we were commanded. So even if you're a good person, even if you're an upright person and you, and, and you think that there's nothing big to confess of, there's always something there that can be improved. Because our commandment, he has commanded us to be perfect. So if you're not perfect, you fell short. And in, in the eyes of the Lord, all we did as useless servants is the bare minimum. So, yeah, so what I think, uh, I th- what I think we're looking at that, the other thing to keep in mind is 
the fact that uh, is the fact that what we're taking accountability for isn't just like ethical and moral failings. It's the fact that our orientation towards Christ and our orientation of moving all things, if as, as the epistle says, taking all thoughts captive to Christ, our orientation of moving our entire life uh, Christward is a continuous endeavor. And it's a continuous uphill slog. And if we're real realistic about it, some days it goes better than others. And it's not a smooth progression upward, right? It's ups and downs and ups and downs. And, and, and that's, that's why, you know, I, I, it's very difficult to speak sometimes to, uh, to other Christians who have kind of a more theoretical approach to looking at that life of repentance because they'll say, well, you know, you just repent and it's done and good to go. Yeah. But in practice, you know, in practice, getting out of the habit of committing some particular sin that has become uh, uh, what we call in theology, a pathos, a passion, a, a habit. Um, it, it takes time. We didn't, you know, we didn't get into the woods of sin overnight and we're not going to get out in one second. Uh, you know, if we're given to being prone to losing our temper, yes, God could take that away from us overnight, but overwhelmingly that's going to be a long labor of turning and returning and reorienting our life for, uh, towards him and getting it better today, not as well tomorrow, readjusting something and taking it in baby steps and, and slowly, incrementally moving back towards him. Uh, and that's when, when you talk to people who are really pursuing the spiritual life, that's a real consistent observation is that it moves slowly, it moves incrementally. And so in confession, we're not just saying I failed. We're saying uh, I, I need help moving those incremental baby steps in the direction that they ought to go. Um, you know, we're, I, 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 of, of five instances where I had to keep my temper in check today, uh, I got three right. Uh, I need your help with the other two. And maybe tomorrow it'll be four out of five. And then the next day it'll be two out of five. You know, but whatever it is, those little baby steps, we, it, it, that's reality. And so by confessing that, it's not like getting neurotic and saying, oh, my gosh, you know, I, I did this, 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 and this. It's I'm still working on this, and I still need your grace to move it consistently Christward because left to my own devices, we'd be off the rails. You know, and, and that's where humility and repentance really comes in. We've got those five instances of losing our temper, for instance, throughout the day. And we recognize that on our own, we would successfully keep it in check zero out of five times. So even one out of five times is still the grace of God. And we're grateful for that. And in being grateful for that, we also ask God, very good, let's build on that. And tomorrow, let's shoot for two out of five then three out of five. And then we fall. And when we fall back down to and have another one day, it's usually because pride entered the picture and we think, OK, cool. I was able to keep this sin in check in this habitual circumstance. I don't need to worry about that now. We let our guard down and the enemy comes in and says, that's where I'm going to get you, because that's where you're not paying attention. And that's why Peter says in his epistle, Grigorite, be watchful. Be sober-minded, for the devil prowls about like a lion seeking whom he will destroy. So 
like be vigilant. You look at it and say, okay, we've been successful in this area. That doesn't mean that we can let our hands down and say, I never need to worry about that again. Yeah, rather, right. ki- rather, like you said, say as a good, as a, as a, as a, as a useless, unprofitable servant, any progress we made there was solely by the grace of God. And it's only going to be kept up by the grace of God. So may God protect it. And humbly, I'm going to keep watch over that because once again, on my own, we don't even get there. And that's, and that's, that's a real, that's a, that's a real important attitude. And that's also taking accountability because you're saying I can't do it on my own, but I know who can do it. And I trust him to do that in me. Uh, yeah, that's absolutely without question. I think the truth of the matter, I mean, the minute that we think that I got this, we've fallen right back into the trap of deception. And we're setting ourselves up to be accused again. It, it, we cannot allow ourselves to be sucked in by that. But how? Do, but that begs the question, right? Father, okay, so we can't be sucked in. It's only Christ that can do this. But where in the world does the power in my life come from to facilitate me doing this right and i and the answer is that christ gave us confession as a sacrament in his church to facilitate this right-mindedness that we and the right-mindedness is that i am broken i am suffering and i am held captive by death my master, and I cannot fix that alone. So we have confession in the church, but what is the church? It is the community of people who believe in Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection, his ascension, and Pentecost, the giving of the Holy Spirit, the one who condescends into the muck, into the mire of my life, who I drag through all the nonsense that I think and do every day and who loves me anyway, who intercedes for me anyway, and who professes Christ to my soul anyway. And it's through confession. It's through repentance. It's through going to the priest and saying, priest, man, my life's a train wreck, but the Lord knows it. And I want everyone else to know it because in that place, in that place of acknowledging that I'm a broken, suffering, dying train wreck, that the Holy Spirit is unable to do the chaos, that he comforts the suffering, and that he makes perfectly luminous Jesus Christ in his all-holy face and his all-holy suffering on my behalf. Yeah, and that's, and that's, where, we, that's where the community is restored. It's restored between us and God. It's restored between us and each other. Um, you know, what's interesting is when Christ speaks about the kingdom of heaven, he says... Uh, you know, he says, yeah, he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, but it's still a yoke. It's still a burden. But he says that the one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not worthy of the kingdom of God. So we still have to put our hand to the plow. We still have to put our hand to the plow. We still have to move forward and not look back and not say, well, what if Christ doesn't? No, no, no. Put your hand to the plow and do it. Uh, uh, you know, that's why scripture calls us at the end of Mark's gospel and in Paul's epistles, he's called us the co-laborers of God. Yes, it is God's labor. Yes, it is his grace that makes the labor work. Yes, it is his work that he brings to perfection. But he invites us to participate in it. 
And if we're going to participate in it, we have to get our feet on the ground, get our hands in it and do the work. What does that, what does that look like? That looks like taking accountability when we need to take accountability. It looks like actually saying our prayers. It looks like giving alms, giving, you know, giving charitably to the poor, forgiving, help looking for the opportunities to be, uh, to be, you know, merciful and kind and loving to those around us, not because it's ethically the right thing to do, but because it is the imitation of the work of our heavenly father, who is kind to the uh, kind, to the ungrateful and merciful, even in, even to the ignorant and the wayward. I, and that's the idea. It's because it's what he would do. It's because of what he does and who he is. And that's who we're called to imitate. So in the course of doing that, once we start to busy ourselves with that work, um, we find that there's a lot more to take accountability for. We find that we're uh, the body of Christ, the connected connection between one another and the community does grow. But also we find that we, we have to take a harder look at ourselves and that's, that's really where the life of repentance come in. So when we're looking at confession, you know, when we're looking at confession, we're looking at something that, that assesses the reality of our life, that assesses the reality of our relationship in this world to God, to one another, to ourselves, and asking for his mercy and his healing to set that right and get it on the right road. And it takes place in this great form Christ has given us through his church to where not only do we just sort of, you know, send a, a quick note up to God saying, I'm sorry, forgive me. But we get to look another tangible human being in the face, another part of the body of Christ. And we come before the icon of Christ and we get to look our, our God in the face, the, the, you know, represented in the icon of Christ and our brother in the face in the person of the priest and hear unequivocally that you can come home. That it's that, that the father's love for you outweighs whatever was wrong. And we're going to set things right. And people pay hundreds of dollars for that, you know, hundreds of dollars an hour for that at psychiatrists and psychologists office. And, and if you need a psych, if you need professional mental help, that's not, a, that's, that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But what I'm saying is people pray, pay to have another human being say that to that, to them in a completely secular context, you can come and hear it from God for free costs you absolutely nothing but a little bit of your time to come hear that from the most high himself of course uh you know yes if you do need uh professional uh mental health care do get that it is a both and scenario you should get your uh medical care and you should come before christ and come before god in the church and hear that you've been forgiven one does not cancel out the other if you need it do both but definitely uh, come and hear. So I, I so I, I think that's, I, I think that's kind of the gist. I think that's where I wanted to go with this today. That's amazing. It, it just a couple of thoughts that I'd like to to get out of out of my head. Uh, really good practical ways of doing this of of helping us see who we are in light of who God is. Your Bible, pick it up read it. 
I don't think that we as Orthodox Christians have enough contact with the scriptures. Um, I, I don't know why that's become the mode, uh, but we live in a literate society with lots of printing presses and you can get Bibles cheap. And if you can't afford one, tell us on Facebook and I will happily get you a Bible and also participate in the services. Our services are designed to help us worship and see God as he is and who we are and what he designed and created us to be. And, and, I, and it's worth pointing out that when you get intimate with scripture, when you're really intimate with it, um, you find that our services are made up almost exclusively either of scripture or things very directly inspired by scripture. So most people are not aware of it, but if you look at the text of the divine liturgy, for instance, um, Father, I believe it's Father John Peck of the OCA. Um, he put together like a diagram, or he shared it anyway, of a diagram of all the scripture in the divine liturgy. And it's, it, the whole thing is either from scripture or directly inspired by scripture or referencing something from scripture. Most of our other services are heavily punctuated with the Psalms. The Psalms are everywhere. They are front and center. Uh, I, I mean, even things that you wouldn't think of, like during the weekday liturgies at the small entrance, where we say, uh, wisdom arise, come let us, at the small entrance, the priest says, wisdom arise, come let us worship and fall down before Christ. Save us, O Son of God, who are wondrous among your saints. That, that phrase, wondrous among your saints, that's not something the church made up. That's from the Psalms. That is in the Psalms. So the church is praying this. So for the Orthodox Christian, Scripture isn't just a book to be studied. It is a text to be prayed. It is a living prayer taking place between us and God where we hear him and he hears us. And, and that's the way we relate to it. And the, only, and the missing link is us realizing as Orthodox Christians that that's what it is, that it is in fact Scripture. That instead of going, oh, what is this stuff that the church made up going, oh, my gosh, no, that's the word of God in a living, breathing, actionable form being prayed, not just studied like a textbook. Um, and truth be told, right, like in the ancient world, that's how scripture was used. It was a prayed text. And uh, so I think the big deficit for our people is having to realize, hey, you actually know more of this than you realize. You just need to get intimate enough and familiar enough with the text so that you realize that's what you're looking at. Uh, and when you do, when you do and you hear something uh, that's a little off the mark or something that it'll habituate you to what the voice of God is supposed to sound like and what the voice of divine inspiration is supposed to sound like. So when someone quotes or misquotes something else you kind of go mm, that, that that doesn't sound right that doesn't jive with the god that i know because i'm used to listening to his voice but if we don't realize that all of that stuff in our service is right out of scripture then we, we might not know that that's him speaking amen father we are out of time it was a great joy as always to be with you um and may god bless and keep everyone listening by his grace May he strengthen us by the power of his Holy Spirit, whom we receive through our baptism and through faith in Jesus Christ, our resurrected Lord. May he be glorified forever and ever in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 
Okay, God bless you all. Thank you all so much, and we'll see you in two weeks. Amen. Thank you.